0: That's the place we're all at if we choose to follow Christ. Each one of us has to daily make that decision to give ourselves away. For I am crucified with Christ, and yet I live, not I, but Christ who lives within me. Father God, I pray that you give us the power and the courage to make that decision daily, to give ourselves away, to let go of our agenda. To grasp hold of the glorious agenda of the kingdom of God so that we dying to ourselves can be a living sacrifice and useful to building the kingdom of God, to redeeming this broken world. Give us that power, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Yavasi. Amen. Well, good morning. It has been a long, lonely, lonely, sad time since I've been down here. Uh, For those of you who are relatively new in the last couple months, my name is Alex. And if you are new in the last few months, you might not know that we are one church in two locations. And I am typically at North Chatham. uh, up. You know how those Chapel Hill people are. I'm up there in North Chatham, those Chapel Hill people north of the hall. Jaime's typically down here in Pittsburgh. And back before COVID, we used to switch about every four to six weeks. And uh, then COVID happened. And then I went on sabbatical the summer. And so it's it's my first time here since March. And so I'm so glad to be back down. Here love what God's doing here in Pittsburgh. We, uh, we launched this campus uh, back in 2017. It's just been amazing to see what God's done uh, as we continue to be a, a campus and a church that wants to love all of Chatham county All of Chathamites, right Chris? Uh, the Chathamites? Yeah. So we, we're, we're here, we really want to love all of Chatham County, uh, as faithfully as we possibly can, to invite them into the good news that Jesus is Lord and that he loves uh, every one of us, inviting us into relationship with him. So listen, if you're new the last few months, uh, I would love to meet you on the way out. Please do stop by and say hello. Well, this is week three of our our series, Counterculture for the Common Good. For 2,000 years, Jesus followers have been doing what Jesus told us to do, which is to go and sort of form communities that are intentionally different from the world around them. And sometimes the people around them thought they were weird because sometimes they're just weird. Sometimes the communities around the churches, uh, they thought they were admirable. They uh, they admired kind of the, the life they lived. And sometimes the communities around those churches hated them and tried to kill them. But here's the reality. And here's sort of part of what we're doing here. You cannot follow Jesus and have your life look like everyone else's. You can't follow Jesus and have your life look like everyone else's. At some critical point in your life, and, and, the, and the cultural values, your life is going to look different if you're genuinely following Jesus. Not that the culture around us is all bad. There's plenty of resonance with the good things in the culture around us. But at some critical points in our culture, following Jesus and following the culture is going to diverge. And it's not just American culture. Every culture for the last 2,000 years has had points of significant dissonance and difference with the way of Jesus. So here's the question that we're wrestling with during the course of this series. How do we go against the flow for the common good? How do we go against the flow? Take up our cross, follow Jesus, give our lives away. We just sang that song in a way that is actually for the common good, to bless and love and serve our neighbors. So week one, we hit the motto for the whole series and the, really, the banner of the whole series. And the banner is uh, the core conviction, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Now, 2,000 years ago in the ancient Roman Empire, the motto for the whole Roman Empire was Caesar is Lord. Caesar is Lord. It was on coins. It was on banners. It was on flags. Caesar is Lord. It was a motto for the whole Roman Empire, and it sure looked like it. I mean, Caesar was the biggest, baddest guy in the biggest, baddest empire the world had seen in hundreds of years. It looked like Caesar was Lord. But the early apostles, the early church said, hey, you know what? God has done something utterly unique. He's raised this man Jesus from the dead. And so we're going to declare that Jesus is Lord, even though it doesn't look like it, even though it looks like Caesar's Lord, the real Lord is the resurrected Jesus Christ. And 2,000 years later, Roman Empire is gone. Line of Caesars ended. The church of Jesus Christ rolls on and on and on and on. Because when you connect your life and your community to the real resurrected Lord, your life also rolls on and on and on. And if you connect your life and your community to the wrong Lord, you die when that leader, that Lord, also dies. So we're asking the question, how do we live out Jesus' lordship as a community all together in the midst of the different challenges? Now this week we're gonna ask, well actually last week we talked about um, what does it mean to be Jesus is Lord in a deeply divided political Culture, <laughs> deeply divided politics, how do we live out Jesus' lordship? Uh, we gave that talk last week. We got more positive feedback in this last week than we have for any, anything for the last couple of weeks. If you missed last week, go online. You can get Jaime's message, my version of the same message, and, uh, and and check that out. We want to invite you to kind of engage with that, particularly as we go into an election week this week. Right, We're praying Jesus' is lord over the election. Now, this week we're going to ask the question, What does it mean for us to be a counterculture for the common good? Not just countercultural individuals, but a counterculture community. What makes us a community that is distinctly sort of countercultural for the common good? Because the reality is there's all kinds of subcultures, right, in America, and anti-subcultures. There's anti-sub-sub-subcultures in America, right? There's the music scene that are, there's some music scenes, there's some portions of the music scene that are anti-sub-sub-subculture. There's art scenes, there's poetry, there's uh, fashion, there's music, there's, there's, there's uh, movie scenes that are sort of anti- and sub-sub-subcultures. and sub What makes a distinctively Christian subculture? What is distinctively Christian about a Christian Jesus following counterculture. Now, some of us grew up in churches and maybe been in churches where the answer to this question was the rules, right? You just don't do a bunch of things, right? The rules, these rules, these rules, these rules. This is what makes us a distinctly Christian counterculture, distinctly Christian subculture. And listen, some of those rules are really important. We don't want to just chuck all the rules, but some of those rules, frankly, were inventions of people getting hung up in all the wrong things. And in his last few hours on this earth, before he's crucified, Jesus actually tackles the question, what's going to be distinctive about this Christian counterculture that he's going to launch? And his response to that question has almost nothing to do with the rules. It would shock some of our churches that we grew up in because he says nothing about the rules. Here's what Jesus says. Here's what's going to make you different. What's distinctive? Jesus says, by this, everybody's going to know you're my disciples, by how you, what's the word? Love. Whoa. The rules don't make us different. Love. That's what makes us different. The rules matter. Don't chuck the rules. I mean, we, we, we don't dismiss the rules. If we do that, we do that to our own peril. Some really important rules, right? That Jesus was rabid about actually being holy, really, like obeying the Lord. But at the core of it, it's not about the rules. It's all about the love. Now, just like in our time today... The early church had a hard time figuring out what does this actually mean? What does it mean for us to be a counterculture for the common good with love at the center of it? How do we live this out? This is a really big challenge for the early church. It's a big challenge for us today. How do we be a counterculture for the common good with love at the center of it? Now, if you're new to the Bible, we're so glad you're here. Much of the New Testament, what we call the New Testament, is letters written to dysfunctional churches. Dysfunctional churches are everywhere. They've been there from the very beginning. That The letters are often apostles trying to help work out, coach, kind of moderate, mitigate kind of conflicts and challenges in the early church. If the church was not a mess, we would have almost no New Testament. So thank goodness churches are messy. Amen? I suppose. And, and, and almost all the churches have challenges. But man, the church that takes the cake is the Corinthian church. They are a hot mess. Someone say hot mess. Hot mess. It's a great Southern term. It's, it's buried in the Greek somewhere. The Corinthians are a hot mess. And Paul has to write at least three letters, maybe a fourth letter. We have two. We have two of the full letters in there, and there's a few other pieces of letters that we have, maybe kind of mixed in there, where Paul is trying to help the Corinthian church figure out what does it mean for us to be a counterculture for the common good, where we genuinely love each other, we're genuinely for each other, the way that Jesus told us to be. What does it mean for us to be a counterculture? for the common good. So Paul's going to kind of coach the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Here's what it means for you to be an interdependent counterculture for the common good. And if we miss this if we don't understand what this looks like, we're going to miss some of the heart of what it means for us as a church body to be a counterculture for the common good. 1 Corinthians 12, you got a Bible term with me there if not it'll be on the screen behind me. 1 Corinthians 12 starting in verse 12. Paul writes this. Just as a body, though one has many parts but all its many parts form one body. So it is with Christ, for we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the same spirit, one spirit to drink. Even so, the body's not made up of many parts, but of one, not made up of one part, but of many. All right, so here's what I want you to do. I want you to go back to high school. For some of you, that's like tomorrow. For some of you, that was like the Stone Age. And for the rest of us, it's somewhere in between there, right? High school. So if, you, if you're in high school tomorrow, we are praying, praying, praying for you. The Lord bless you keep you. So you make, you're going you're gonna to make it. You're going to get through, okay? I mean, maybe some scars, but you're going to make it. Now, if you had a typical American high school experience, here's how the social scene broke down. There were all these clicks. And everyone kind of found their little clique, right? It was, it was based on music. There was the athletes. There was the party kids. There was the, uh, the drama nerds, the band geeks. There was all these different people, right, based on these things, these affinities, right? All these little cliques, all these kind of breakdowns of people kind of clustering together. And I remember going, I remember like sort of struggling in this as a late bloomer, like trying to find my spot, like where did I fit in these kind of weird cliques. And then I went to college, and I was so relieved. It was a little bit less clicky. It was a little less breakdown between these things. But I remember having a conversation with a friend of mine in college, and we asked the question, Is the real world more like high school or more like college? Is the real world more clicky, all broken down by all these sort of divisions? Or is it a little bit more like college, a little bit more like adultish? And unfortunately, I think high school wins. (laughs) That the real world is actually pretty stratified, broken up. All these different categories, all these different places, all these affinity groups where we kind of cluster together. Paul is writing to like high school musical Corinthians. It's all clickish, super clickish, super divided, super broken up in all these different kind of categories. And as Paul launches into what does it mean to be a counterculture for the common good? He gives us one of the most important metaphors, images, the body. Like he's going to we're going to unpack this as we go along. But the thing he wants to really emphasize to launch with and to start with is the breakdown between these cliques, between these different divisions, between these different kind of categories of people. You see there the things I highlighted, right? The first one he identifies is Jews and Gentiles for thousands of years. This is how the Jewish people saw the world. There's Jews and everybody else. This was a part of the category. And much of the early church was very Jewish, And so the biggest challenge in the first century New Testament church was, are the non-Jews going to have to be Jews before they can become Christians? This is the biggest conflict in the whole New Testament. Every letter talks about it. Are the people who aren't yet Jews going to have to become Jews first before they can follow Jesus? Let me say that again. The biggest issue, biggest issue, single biggest issue in the New Testament scriptures is an ethnic conflict. What we would call today a racial conflict. Let me have a moment here with my white friends. White people, pay pay attention. Everyone else sit back and enjoy this. If you grew up in a white church, no one told you this. No one told you that the racial issues were the most important issue in the whole New Testament church. And so what we have, scripture, wisdom, power in the gospel, power in the Holy Spirit to bridge racial and ethnic division. And we have no idea we have this power. And so our country comes unglued along racial lines, ethnic lines. And we sit back going, we don't know what to do about it. The scriptures tell us what to do about it, actually. We have power in the spirit, in the gospel, to break down racial and ethnic division. This is what Jesus has come to do. So much of the first century church is wrestling with this. You know what would make us a counterculture for the common good? If we could actually heal racial and ethnic division while the rest of the country is flailing about it. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Wouldn't that be a counterculture for the common good? If we brought the power of the gospel, the power of the spirit? Holy Spirit, make it so. Paul's really eager to break down the cliques, the division between Jew and Gentile. He's also really eager to break down socioeconomic difference, right? Slave or free. It's estimated that a full one third of the whole Roman Empire were slaves. One in three people slaves in the Roman Empire, right? Not, not, not American style slavery, but still slaves. So that sort of that socioeconomic divide. Wouldn't it also be a beautiful socioeconomic thing? Wouldn't it be a beautiful countercultural for the common good thing if Chatham Community Church could heal racial division as well as socioeconomic division? One spirit, one body, one Lord. Wouldn't that be a beautiful thing? Wouldn't that be a beautiful counterculture for the common good? Now from here... Paul launches into this, this image of the body as he tries to invite them into being a community together, trying to break down these walls and divisions that the Corinthians are messing with. 1 Corinthians 12, he continues to unpack this in verse uh, 15. Here's how Paul talks about this. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? The whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one beautiful Body. I was talking with a guy this past week who's a kids ministry, kids minister at a church up in, uh, up in the north, and uh, I just met him, and I was asking him, what do you love about kids ministry? Uh, and he said, listen, we're in a really impoverished neighborhood. We have all kinds of broken, dysfunctional families. And he said, uh, one kid that comes to his kids ministry, his dad took a Sharpie and literally wrote stupid across his back. He carried that name with him all the time, every day. It was in his head, right? Stupid. That's who I am. And this kid's minister one time was doing the kids, kids, a kid's lesson. He was asking some questions, kind of debriefing the kid's lessons. And the kid raised his hand and said, I would answer your questions, but I can't. I'm stupid. And this kid's minister got down on his level and said, that's not who God says you are. That's not how God made you. And he told the story of how this kid started to come alive that morning. And then the weeks subsequently, as he continued to pour into what God had said was true about him. You're not stupid. That's not your name. That's not who God made you. God gave you gifts. You can bring those things to the table. And this kid had this internal dialogue spoken to him by his own father that he was stupid. And someone needed to pour truth into that internal dialogue to speak truth, to help him move from a kid who was wilting on the vine to a kid who was coming alive, bright, engaged, as God had made him, Right? Paul here, this part of the letter, wants to speak to an internal dialogue. He wants to speak truth to things that are going around in some of our minds and some of our hearts. And here's how Paul leads off. He says, listen, some of you have this thing in your head that says this, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body. And uh, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body. Any of you ever get junk mail? Junk mail? Junk mail? It's all you ever get, right, in your box. Junk mail, junk mail. And some of you get like this, uh, you've been pre-qualified for a loan, pre-qualified for a credit card, right? Junk mail, pre-qualification. Here's the deal. Some of us get junk mail in our heads and our hearts every single day. And your piece of junk mail that you get in your heart says you are pre-disqualified. Pre-disqualified. You are pre-disqualified before you even try, before you put yourself out there. In fact, you shouldn't put yourself out there. Don't take a risk. Don't try. You're not as smart as that other person. You're not as gifted as that other person. You can't do what they do. You can't keep up. God can't use you. Some of you hear the voice of pre-disqualification before you even put yourself out there, don't you? It's on loop. Paul wants to break up that voice. What that voice is doing is pulling you out of the body pulling you out of participation in the body, pulling you away from what God designed for you to do. Do you know how much potential never gets unlocked in the church because how many people are sidelined with a pre-disqualification voice that says, I'm not a hand, I'm not an eye. I can't contribute anything to the body. Do you know how many millions of Christians today are on the sidelines, not bringing their gift, not doing what they could do, to change the world because they hear the voice in their head that pre them from getting involved. Do you know how many millions of people are waking up today hungry because Christians who should have been serving in the food line, who should have started a nonprofit, said, I can't do that. Not me. Not it. Don't have the skills. Don't have the abilities. Do you know how many people are hungry today because Christians have opted out, heard this voice, and said, I don't have what it takes. You know how many churches are flailing all over the world, don't have enough ushers, don't have enough musicians, don't have enough kids' ministry people, don't have enough people serving in the church because people have opted out. Heard that pre disqualifying voice I'm not good enough. I don't have what it takes. I'm not a good enough Christian. I'm not a good, I don't have, I don't have, I don't, I don't, not enough. Do you know how many hundreds of millions of people today don't have the hope of Jesus because people say, I'm not smart enough to share my faith? I can't answer all the questions. I'm not even gonna try. I'm not gonna risk. I'm not gonna put myself out there. I don't have what it takes. You hear the pre-disqualifying voice all the time. It is one of the greatest neutralizers of the church in human history. It has left the church less effective than it should have been. It is one of the single greatest causes of human misery in the last 2,000 years. People who hear the pre-self disqualifying voice and say, I'm not even gonna try. I'm not stepping in, I'm not taking a risk. If you're here this morning, and that's a voice that you feel like you hear on the regular, I've been sent here to tell you some really, really good news. You ready for this? It's not the voice of Jesus. It's not the voice of Jesus. It's not the voice of the Good Shepherd. It's not the voice of the Holy Spirit. That voice that tells you that you're pre-disqualified, that you shouldn't even try, that voice is not Jesus' voice. Wherever you, wherever, whoever kind of put that voice in you, wherever it's coming from, it's not the voice of the Good Shepherd. You can safely ignore it. You have every authority in Jesus to, set, to blow off the voice that tries to pre-self disqualify you to speak the good news. Here's the good news. Here's what's true. What's true is this. God has placed all the parts of the body, every single one of them, including you, just as he wanted them to be. You are a part of the body of Christ Jesus. He has placed you exactly where he wants you to be. That's not to say that you're great at everything. Of course you're not great at everything. That's the whole point of the body, right? There's things you're good at, things I'm good at, things we're good at differently together. But my friends, your your job is to bring what God's gifted you to do. And don't let anything pre-disqualify you for bringing that to the table. Because if you do that, then the rest of us suffer. God made us interdependent parts. And if you opt out of the body, in whatever way, shape, or form that takes, then there's a hole where we needed you to be. And so my friends, I want to invite you. I want to implore you. We are invited and we're called to be this mutually interdependent community. We need you to bring whatever gifts you got, whatever God's wired you up to the table. And that doesn't just mean serving here at the church, which of course that's a part of it, but that also means out there being equipped, ready, eager to be a part of the body. Out there, my friends, if you're the kind of person that has pre-self disqualified, here's my question for you. How might you unhook from that voice and learn to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit? How might you learn to unhook from that voice, that self-disqualifying voice from you, and learn to listen for the Holy Spirit? One of the reasons why you should should read Scripture is so you can learn to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. Scripture is like a tuning fork to hear the voice of the Good Shepherd, especially the stories of Jesus, especially the voice of Jesus. I mean, one of the reasons why we know what Paul's writing is so true is because it sounds just like Jesus, doesn't it? You're one interdependent body. that sounds Jesus didn't say that, but man, it sounds a lot like Jesus, right? It resonates 100% with who Jesus is, how Jesus lived. So, my friends, I want to implore you: learn to tune your heart and your vo- to the voice of Jesus, and then tune everything else out. It's just clutter. It's just noise, disrupting what God has sent you to do. The Spirit declares the truth of God. You've been you've been sent here, brought here to hear the good news. There are other voices in your head and your heart that are not the voice of the Holy Spirit. It's the voice of Jesus. He has come to set you free from the voice that condemns you, to set you into, invite you into, a mutually interdependent body where we all play our role, all play our part. And my friends, here's the good news. You're not so special that God doesn't know what to do with you. Merry Christmas, six weeks early. You're not so special that God doesn't know what to do with you. You're not the one person on the planet that God's like, I don't know what to do with that person. Like God's not up there vexed by you. He knows your past, he knows your present, he knows who you are, he knows who you're not. Doesn't bother him. Go, I made you. For a role, step into the body. Be a part of it. Paul wants to break up that sort of self-condemning voice. But there's another voice, an equal and opposite error that we can make that, dis- that distorts the body, that keeps us from being the kind of body that God designed us to be. And that's the thing that Paul attacks next in 1 Corinthians verse uh, 21. He says this to the, uh, to the uh, Corinthians who are continuing to wrestle with the problem of being a cliquish high school experience. The eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts we think are less honorable we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable we treat with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. Hey, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. So Paul started by disarming that internal dialogue. I can't do this. I'm not good enough. Right here, Paul sort of addresses the equal and opposite error, which says, "I don't need you." Right, the, the, the I can't see the hand. I don't need you. The the head can't see the feet. I don't need you. I'm better than those people. <laughs> I'm more important than those people. No place for that in the body of Christ. No place for that at all in the body of Christ. And I want to say, while the voice of, of that self-condemning, self-disqualifying voice is not the Holy Spirit, this voice is not the Holy Spirit either, right? The voice that says I'm better than everybody else, or I'm better than those people, that's not the voice of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't sound anything like Jesus, the good shepherd, who went after sick people and poor people and marginalized people and invited them in to be a part of his community. That doesn't look anything like the work of Jesus. And so, my friends, of course, we're all works in progress, right? We're all works in progress. And here's what we do. We bring together kind of our community, our flat sides, our sin, our, our, our works in progress. And, man, by God's grace, he uses our different gifts, our different abilities, and he works through us. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Even though we're imperfect and the body's imperfect, God works through us. And then, bless the Lord, sometimes he works in spite of us. Amen. We come together. Bring our gifts, our flat sides, our work in progress. And God, in his grace and mercy, pours his Holy Spirit into us. And we're like, hey, we're one body working together, imperfect, messy. But we're doing what we can to cooperate and be a part of his kingdom coming, his will being done in our lives across Chatham County as it is in heaven. And there's this weird thing in the 21st century. We talk about community and being an interdependent body. there's a couple extremes, right? One extreme is the herd mentality, Right. In our culture, there's a herd mentality to conform and look like everybody else. You see this most prolifically on social media, right? Social media. Some of you love social media. Some of you hate social media. We'll talk to you in a minute. But social media, right, is this herd mentality. Your job is to look as best as you possibly can to impress your fake friends online. And so what you do is you take the best picture, the best image of you, and you present the best pox- picture of you to imp- impress your friends online. So if you're a stay-at-home mom, your kids shriek for 22 straight hours, but the 30 minutes they were not shrieking, you take the picture, post it up, look how great we are. You're empty nesters. You and your spouse go on a five-day cruise. You fight. Of those five days, you fight for four days and 21 hours. But for the two hours you don't fight, you take a picture, put it on social media, look how great we are. You're a teenager. You're out there with your friends. You're doing something. Take a picture, post it on social media. Look at me. I'm living my best life with my best friends. Aren't I awesome? The amount of time, effort, energy we take curating a fake image online is ridiculous. Nothing like the interdependent body of Christ that Jesus calls us to be. And so that's a lot of noise, a distraction for what it means to be a genuinely interdependent community counterculture for the common good. Now, some of you look at that online noise, you're like, that's stupid. It's ridiculous. How much time and effort and energy? Some of you look at that and say, I want nothing to do with that. And I've been sitting here to tell you this morning the thing you always wanted to hear from church. You're right, it is stupid. It's ridiculous. It's so over the top, right? so over the top. People pour so much time, effort, and energy trying to fit in and get people to like me. You know, so much of the social media thing is, I need you to like me so I can like me. I need you to like me so I can like me. So how many likes and clicks and followers can I get to feel good about me? And I need this whole thing. So it's a codependent, unhealthy relationship with fake friends online to get me to like me. So some of you look at it and say, I don't need anyone to like me. I like me just fine, thank you very much. And in Chatham County, deep Chatham especially, if you've been here for a long time, there's this whole culture that says, I don't need anybody to be me. I don't need anybody. I don't need you is like a deep Chatham County motto. I want 50 acres, no neighbors. I'm going to live my best life without anybody bothering me. And let me hereby declare to you, my friends, that is also not the voice of the Holy Spirit. You can tell a lot from a community by who their heroes are. Okay, so if you're new to Chatham County, let me introduce you to a Chatham County hero. This, my friends, is Clyde Jones. Clyde is a Chatham County legend, okay? He's like the hero. If there's, there's not, this is not a big celebrity kind of culture in Chatham County, but if there is a celebrity, it's Clyde Jones. Let me tell you Clyde's story. Clyde has no idea when he was born. He's been poor most of his adult life. He's, he's worked in a carpenter, a carpenter shop. He lost his left middle finger working with a wood chipper. That is so Chatham County, right? So deep Chatham. In 1979, a giant log crushed his leg. Doctor said, You'll never walk again. He's like, I'll show you, I'm gonna walk again. It took him three years. He's walking again. Clyde creates these animal figurines out of wood, out of just wood. Everyone's unique every time. He just makes these things and cranks them out, and they're all across Chatham county he marches to his own drama does his own thing and he is a rock star these things have been in the smithsonian there's one on the great wall of china he's been he's been celebrity across the world totally independent totally feisty does his own thing doesn't care what anyone else thinks some of you like that is your dream to be like clyde every year there's an annual clyde fest in them. People gather from all across the county and celebrate how awesome Clyde Jones is. He is a local celebrity that did it his own way. Doesn't care what anyone else thinks. Some of you want to be like Clyde when you grow up. So there's a legend of Clyde, and then there's the reality of Clyde. Clyde doesn't drive except for a tractor, of course. So whenever he wants to go into town, he needs his neighbors to take him. In fact, one of his neighbors says that whenever she wakes up and hears the lawnmower outside her bedroom window, it's an invitation to go to breakfast on that Saturday morning to go into town. Clyde doesn't sell his art. In fact, one, guy, one like, famous Russian ballet dancer showed up in a limo in the 90s and said, can I buy your art? But Clyde says, I don't sell my art. I just give it to people I love. Gave it to his dentist, doctor, some local public schools. In fact, one, one, one school, uh, North Chatham Ele- elementary teacher up in North Chatham, he, uh, she tells the story of Clyde coming to her class. And she in the class built one of these crazy animals and sort of had this wonderful experience. And here's what Clyde said. Clyde, the super feisty, independent guy. Here's what Clyde said to a classroom full of elementary school kids who helped him build one of these folky art, uh, art animals. He said this, always remember, kids, deep down, each of you has something you can do to make other people happy. I want you kids to look inside, find what that thing is, and go out and do it. Make other people happy. That's not some cranky guy, 50 acres, no neighbors, off the grid, prepping for doomsday. That's a man who actually is deeply integrated to a community, wanting to serve, be a part. And I don't know what Clyde's faith kind of commitment is, whatever, but he's living out a small picture of what Paul's talking about. What does it mean to bring your gifts to the community? And Clyde's gifts are quirky and unique, and he's feisty. He is his own person, but he's a deeply integrated part of the community, looking for ways to be part of the community. And my friends, this is a this is a small picture, a slightly oblique picture, a different picture of what it means to be a counterculture community for the common good. It's not utterly independent, not utterly kind of apart and separated, pushing everybody away, but nor is it codependent, other people to prop us up, social media or any other way. There's a third way, a better way. This, interdependent body of christ that's the counter culture for the common good one baptism one spirit one body one lord that we share together And so my friends my question for you this morning is what's one step you might take to confidently humbly be more integrated that in a way that invites others to do the same what's one step you can take bringing your gifts your experiences into the body and saying yes I want to be a part of this body I'm not going to, I'm not going to pre-self disqualify but nor am I going to disqualify other people I want to step in and be a part of the integrated part of this body of this community and invite others to do the same because here's the deal at some point if you're a healthy adult at some point someone came alongside you and said I see something in you right at some point someone came alongside you if you're a healthy adult You've had an experience of someone saying, I see something. I see your gifts. I see your abilities. I want you to bring those to the table. Uh, some, some, of them had a, a, some of you had a spiritual a person, a person of faith that says, hey, God's given you gifts. Bring those to the table. That's what God's speaking over you today. God has given you gifts to be a part of his work, his kingdom coming, his will being done in Channel Community Church and then all across Chatham County and beyond. And so this week, what's the invitation? What's your step to becoming a more integrated part into the body of Christ and what he's doing right here in our community. We work this out in small groups, right? Small groups, we lean in together, we study scripture together, we rally together when things are hard, we pray for each other, we care for each other when we're sick. We live this out on Sunday mornings, right? Fortunately, there's musicians here leading us in worship. You do not want me singing for you, people. You just don't want it, Right? Thank you, worship team, for bringing your gifts to be a part of this body, right? But it's not just the worship team. It's also hospitality, food, drink, welcome. This is all part of the body. People bring in their gifts to welcome in the community. And then we send it out. It's not just about gathering on Sunday morning. It's about going out. Jesus said his kingdom is like a little yeast working through the whole dough. Everything it touches rises, my friends. Go out there and make something rise this week in Jesus' name. Go out there and make someone rise in Jesus' name. And you know what we do here To we gather together. We say, God's put something in you. The Spirit has given you something. You are part of the body in that place. For some of you it means being at the PTA or working at the HOA or volunteering in a nonprofit or starting something new. Some of you are going to be sent like literally all over the globe to go be part of God's global mission. For some of you, it's just going to be going to work, going to school tomorrow, living out faith, living out the gospel. And the church is here to cheer you on. We're going to celebrate. We got a woman in my small group. She's got a bunch of atheists in her office, like who are self-described atheists, and she's like, I'm sharing my faith, sharing the gospel. And every week in small group, we're like, we're praying for you. We're on your team. We're on board, just keeping faithful love, serve, walk live out your faith as best you can, we're cheering for her, let's burn one another on, we celebrate when people are celebratory and great things are happening, we rejoice with those who rejoice, we mourn with those who mourn and as a part of the body we even sometimes challenge or correct when people are wandering off or going astray, what does it mean for us to be a body, one body one spirit, one Lord, one baptism together, one interdependent body, living out as a counterculture for the common good, because of Jesus, in Jesus, because Jesus is Lord, because Jesus is Lord. Doesn't matter what everyone else says, doesn't matter who looks like their Lord, doesn't matter who's most powerful. On Election Week 2022, we're here to sing the good news Jesus is Lord no matter who wins the election, Jesus is Lord. That's it. And so, we're called together to live out that Lordship as one body, together, one Spirit, one baptism interdependent parts, not pre-disqualifying ourselves or anyone else. We gather together in the name of Jesus because of what he has done and who he is. And that's what we celebrate a little bit of that as we move down to our time of communion, the night Jesus was betrayed. He wants his followers to be one body. He knows there's going to be pressure on them to separate to schism. And so he says, "Here's, I'm going to do something for you. I'm going to give you a meal to remind you of the most important thing. And I'm going to give you a meal to celebrate the most important thing. And this is the thing that's gonna kind of bind us together. There's a, there's a saying in kind of business world that says what gets celebrated gets repeated. What gets celebrated gets repeated. So we celebrate Jesus' baptism. We celebrate Jesus' communion because this is how Jesus became Lord. And we tell this story because we want our hearts and our minds and our own lives to mirror Jesus' Lordship in whatever way we can. And so we move to our time of communion to sort of celebrate the good news that Jesus is Lord. And he was betrayed. He took ordinary things and he made them extraordinary. He broke them. He said, this is my body, broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. And then he took the cup. He said, this is my blood, shed for you, poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins, all sins for all time. Drink this in remembrance of me. His disciples had no idea what Jesus was talking about. No idea. But the night unfolded like a nightmare. He went through a mock trial, crucified on a cross. His friends scatter in a fog of shame and confusion and lostness. On the third day, to everyone's surprise, and according to no one's plan but his own, God raises him from the dead to be king of kings and lord of lords for all time, forever and ever. Amen. So we come to this table, broken people, people in progress, one body, one blood, one spirit, and we share in this meal together. We're going to move now to a time of taking these elements, and and we're going to invite you to kind of come to the stations and take these and then bring them back to your seats and the uh, band's going to kind of lead us through some worship, and then the band will pause, and we'll eat and drink together. The bread is gluten-free. The cup is grape juice so that everyone can be invited and come, come and be a part of it. So we're going to invite you here to, uh, to move when you're ready to these stations to get these elements, to bring them back, and then just invite you to sit with them, right, to sit with them for a beat and to be opening up your heart to what does it mean that God's put you here in this place, and then what does it mean for you to be a part of it? One body, one spirit, one blood, forever and ever. Amen. Let me pray for us as we move on to our time of communion. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for being Lord. We declare and pray that your Lordship would change everything for us. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would come now and meet us in these elements, these common everyday elements. Lord, you love taking ordinary things and making them extraordinary. And so we want to open up our hearts and our spirits to receive this. Help us now as We move to our time of communion. Would you awaken our hearts and our imaginations to the good news that you are Lord, that you've invited us to be one body together. May we enter into this time opening our hearts to the good news that these elements point us to. We ask in Jesus' strong mighty name. Amen, amen, amen. Come get the elements whenever you're ready.